Good morning, Green Oaks. How we doing this morning? Woo, we got a couple of you that are ready to roll. Why don't you stand with us? If you're in the uh, foyer, come on and join us. We're going to sing some songs. All right. That's right. Y'all are ready. Let's do this. Come on.
Give him praise, y'all. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Good morning, Great Oaks. It is wonderful to see you this morning. Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. My name is Tara. And I am Travis, and we are so excited that you chose to join us this morning. Um, in just a few moments, we're going to come back up. We're going to stand. We're going to worship again as the band leads us. We encourage you all to participate in that. But before we do, we just want to give you guys a few announcements. The first being, if you are brand new to Great Oaks, um, we would love to connect with you. And one of the ways that that will happen is if you go on your phone right now and text the word VIPGH to 97000, and then you'll be prompted to fill out a digital connect card. And once you do that, um, that'll help us get to know you a little bit better. You can go out into the main foyer and at Connection Central after service, there's a volunteer who will um, meet you and give you a gift. And if you're watching online and you do the same thing, someone this week will connect with you and follow up with what to do. Yeah, and for those of you who don't know, in Kidstown, we are serving kids birth all the way up through sixth grade. So if you have not had an opportunity to check us out, see what kind of programming we have, get to know some of our volunteers, I would love, love, love for you to check us out. And if you're wondering, hey, when should I do that? I will let you know, today might be that day. Our marriage series is continuing this morning and the sermon that we are going to hear talks about some definitely more intimate issues. So if you are interested in utilizing our Kids Town programming, we can assist you at the check-in counter right out in the lobby. I've got a few announcements for this coming month as well. I know it's only November, but we just had our first frost. It snowed the other day, so now we are officially in Christmas season. So we've got a couple services we want you to be aware of. The first one is December 18th, the Sunday before Christmas. We are going to have our Kids Town uh, kids come up. They're going to sing Christmas carols. It's going to be an awesome event. Um, there's going to be it's going to be jam packed in here. So if you're used to sitting in the front, make sure you get here early and claim those seats because there's going to be lots of people that are here. We've also got our Christmas Eve services. So on the night, the afternoon, the night of Christmas Eve, we're going to have two services. The first one being at 4 p.m. and the second at 7 p.m. And then this year, Christmas Day falls on a Sunday. So we're going to have one special Christmas Day service at 10 a.m. It's going to be a family service. We encourage you to come bring your kids, dress in your favorite pajamas. And if you do have little ones, the tiniest ones, we will have our nursery open for children that are newborn to two years old. Yes. Also, if you are new here and you are wondering what we are all about, we have our Intro to Great Oaks next Sunday, November 20th at 1215. We would love for you to come. Lunch is provided. We have some fun activities for the kiddos. But this is where you can get to know some members of the church staff, hear about the ministries that we offer, volunteer opportunities, and all things Great Oaks. So if you are interested, you can get more information at Connection. Connection Central in the lobby. Thanks so much, guys. Why don't you all stand up? We're going to worship again. Follow the band in this front row right here. They'll lead you. Oh, that's right. Not only the band, but these folks in the front row will lead us, and they lead us well. Man, it's so awesome to be here with you. So, um, real quick, I feel like I need to, uh, to, to give someone a thank you. We, we don't 
very, very, very rarely do we draw attention to anyone on this platform because it's not about any of us. It's all about all of us coming together to sing songs of worship and praise and, and uh, not for recognition for any of us. But uh, So last Sunday, um, my voice, I was supposed to be on the platform last Sunday and my voice during run through said, nope, it's not going to happen today. And so uh, I just want to say thank you to CJ Witten for uh, stepping up uh, on the last moment and coming. And uh, he and I traded places last weekend. I definitely don't want to be back there anymore if I don't have to. But anyway, thank you. It's so good to be a part of a team where if somebody goes down, somebody is there to, to, to take that place and, and step in. So, But CJ got to introduce a new song last week, and I just want to do it again because I think it's just a really cool song. So there's a lyric, my favorite lyric in this song. It says, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Can you repeat that? Say, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. That's right. Let's sing that out, all right?
Once a month, we come together as a church and we celebrate communion. And we celebrate it because this is the reminder that on the cross and when he walked out of the grave, Jesus proved that he was the only one who brings life into places of death. The only one who can change our lives, who can pay the price for our sins. And as we come to this table, we remember that incredible sacrifice that he made so that we could be in relationship with him. So we do invite everyone who's here who calls themselves a follower of Christ to join us today. And you'll simply be handed a piece of bread. You can dip that in the grape juice and then either take it there at the table or go back to your seat and take it. So as we prepare to do that, we remember that night that Jesus gathered his disciples around the table in the upper room. And he broke bread and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after dinner, he took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, for you and for all who will believe. Each time you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so would you join me in prayer as we prepare to come and celebrate that this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we come to this table, we remember the ways that you have spoken into our lives. We're reminded, Father, that we can't do anything to fix our sin problem. But because you loved us enough, you sent your son to die on a cross to pay a price we could never pay so that we could be free, so that we could be in relationship with you. And so, Father, as we come and we remember that incredible sacrifice, we celebrate your love for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we pray all this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you come as you're ready and celebrate what God has done?
So before we dive into our topic for this morning, I want to pause for just a minute and say thank you to each and every one of you. We have just come out of the month of October, which is kind of a nationally celebrated Pastor Appreciation Month. And I want to say on behalf of the staff here at Great Oaks, thank you for the gifts that you brought, for the meals you provided, for the way, cards that you wrote, for the ways that you have encouraged us here. Uh, it was very well received, very much appreciated. And so thank you for those of you who participated in that. It was uh, more than we deserve, probably. Well, I'll say more than I deserve. They probably all deserved it, but... All right, so today we're talking about sex. And just to get everybody in the mood, maybe I'm a little bit still like a middle school youth pastor, right? We got to like figure this out a little bit. So just to break the ice, I want everyone to say the word, right? So I'm going to count to three and you're all going to say it, right? We might as well get the giggles out of the way. Trust me, there were plenty of them first service. If you laugh, it won't be okay. It'll be okay. The lights are dim enough. I can't tell how red your face is. You can just see mine. It's great. Ready? So sex on three. Ready? Three, two, one. Sex! Wow. That was... That was decent, right? But this is a gift God gave us. We should be excited about it. Can we be a little bit more excited than that? Right? So let's see if we can give it, give it your all. This is exciting, right? Three, two, one. Six. All right, there you go. The front row might be a little too excited about it, but other than that, it'll be great. All right, so uh, sex is a word that people seem to have no 
problem talking about in our culture, in our world. We know more about sex, spend more money to make sex pleasurable, and have done more research on sex than any other time in history. Yet even with all this talk about sex, it seems to me anyway that for far too long and far too often, the church has chosen silence. And there's probably many reasons we don't talk about sex uh, and the church doesn't talk about it. But I wonder if by not talking about it, we just give the world one more opportunity to say, you see, I told you, church is irrelevant. And I wonder if we would begin to have some of these hard conversations that don't necessarily have to be awkward, but because we don't talk about it, they feel awkward. If we wouldn't begin to answer questions that those around us outside of the church are actually asking. I think for far too long, the church does a great job answering questions nobody's asking. And we're like, oh, we got all these answers to all the questions. And people outside are like, we're not asking that question. Dr. Howard Hendricks says, why should we, we should not be afraid to discuss what God was not ashamed to create. Now a quick, quick scroll through whatever your streaming service is or whatever form you watch TV on, you'll find plenty to learn about or see about sex in our TV shows, in our culture all around us. But the truth is most of these things are juvenile or present a really unhealthy and unrealistic view of sexual intimacy. And none of them get at the heart of what God desired sexual intimacy to be. But the truth is, and maybe the, the weird truth is that this obsession to talk about it is not leading to an obsession to engage in it. For those of you who don't know, we're in the middle of what a lot of people are calling the great sex recession. So we're worried about a financial recession, right? But we're in the middle of this and have been for a while, sexual recession. So General Social Survey put out the following stats. 7% of married American adult, adults have had sex once or twice in the last year. 10% didn't have sex at all in the last year. 19, two or three times a month. 17, once a month. 5%, four, four or more times a week. We're just going to let that one sit there for a minute. 16% had sex twice or three times a week and 25 have sex weekly. Another study published in 2019 found that 47% of married couples have sex less than once a week. And when you think about this idea of sexless marriages, most of us go, oh, well, that must be the aging population, right? No. To be in a sexless marriage is to have sex less than 10 times a year. And the majority of the people in sexless marriages are actually younger. Most are below 45. A fourth of millennials are in sexless marriages. And sex therapists say it's very common to have people who've been married three to five years who have stopped altogether. Now we'll explore some of the reasons behind that in just a minute, but for now, I want us to see that the effects that this sex-obsessed culture are having are not helping our marriages. 
And maybe the saddest truth of all is that the church's silence on the topic is preventing married people from enjoying this incredible gift that God has given us. Because I believe, and scripture clearly teaches, that sexual intimacy is one of the greatest gifts God has given us. Sexual intimacy is one of the greatest gifts God has given us. So as we move forward this morning, I wanna invite you to discover with me some of what the Bible has to say about sexual intimacy. And if you're like, does the Bible actually talk about this? Yes, it does. And we'll unpack some of those verses in just a minute. But before we get there, there are a lot of groups of people in the room who are gonna hear this message differently. So I just wanna invite all of you into the conversation. Some of you in the room are single and hope to be married one day. And you're like, this is just uncomfortable to talk about in church. Why do we have to do this? Because maybe the best time for you to start thinking about what God has for you in the future in sexual intimacy is before you get there. I'm going to make a couple just really bold pointed statements today. And this might be the first one. If you walk into a marriage with a porn issue or a sexual intimacy issue, all you're doing is putting a ring on your porn issue. Your marriage is not gonna fix that. So let's figure out what God has to say about that before we take that first step. There are others of you who are single because you've lost a spouse. You had years of incredible times, incredible memories, and all the things with that spouse, and you're like, this is just gonna be a painful sermon. And there is probably some truth to that. And know that that's not our desire. But the, fault, the other side of that is, if that's you, and you've experienced the joy of healthy sexual intimacy in your relationship, there is a young couple in this church that is struggling, that needs a healthy older couple to walk alongside of them. Paul makes it very clear that older women should disciple younger women, that older men should walk alongside and teach younger men. And what if our discipleship process in some ways began to help couples deal with sexual intimacy? And we began to have some really hard conversations about what that looks like. And so if that's you in the room and you're grieving, I want to invite you back into the conversation and say, we need your voice. There are some in the room, third group, who are probably dealing with some kind of physical or medical condition that makes sexual intimacy difficult, if not impossible. And for you, I want you to know we're here to walk beside you, to encourage you, to support you. And I don't want you to hear anything that is going to be said today as a judgment on your relationship. Parents, we have to start talking to our kids about sex. Everybody else is. They're not being quiet about it. We have to start having these conversations. Our kids have to know that they can come to us and ask questions. They have to know that they have a safe place to wrestle with these kind of things. And the last group that might be here this morning as we unpack this topic, if you're in the room and you're struggling, something is eating at your sex life, I want you to know we are here to encourage you, 
I hope you can see God's plan and design for this gift that he's given you as we unpack scripture. And I want you to know that we want to help as best we can and can help refer you to counseling if that's a place that you feel like you're at in your marriage. You don't have to suffer through this alone. So as we unpack this statement that sexual intimacy is one of the greatest gifts God has given us, I'm thankful that each and every one of those groups are in the room and that we get to do this together. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning to Genesis chapter 2 and take a look at God's design because the first thing, if this is God's, one of God's greatest gifts, the first thing we have to understand is sex is holy. Now it might be hard for us to believe this because the church has avoided the topic or we've been told that sex is bad, right? So my wife and I, when we got married, disclaimer, my wife knows everything I'm going to say in this, in this sermon. So if all of you are like, did he pre-approve that? Anytime I talk about my wife in a sermon, she's heard it before you have. So just in case some people have asked that, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'd be divorced by now. Uh, we came to that marriage room, and I'm not going to get into the, into the uh, hotel room after our, after our wedding, and I'm not going to get into the weeds on this. But you need to understand when I got to that point, we literally looked at each other and we're like, did we just do something wrong? Because we'd grown up in this purity culture that the only thing we'd heard the church say was, sex is bad. Don't have sex, you'll get a disease. Don't have sex, you'll get pregnant. Don't have sex, you'll ruin your future. Don't have sex. The church has not done a great job explaining this gift to us that God has given. We do a good job telling kids, don't do it. But we don't necessarily give them a reason why. And actually for 1,500 years, the church has struggled with this topic. Here are five common teachings the church has had over the last 1,500 years. Sex is simply about procreation. God grudgingly tolerates it because we have to reproduce, right? Maybe some of you have heard that in church. We have to have kids, we have to multiply, so God grudgingly tolerates this. Can we stop for just a minute? God is the God of the universe who is without limit and without power. If God wanted us to not have sexual intimacy, he would have hidden a button on our body. That when you get to be that time and you get married, maybe the button reveals itself, you push it and a baby comes out. He doesn't need us to have sexual intimacy to have kids if he didn't want it to be that way. That's not God's desire. One of the early church fathers, St. Augustine, actually taught that sex was the means of transmitting original sin. So if we just not have sex, we wouldn't sin. Seriously? Did he never see a two-year-old? I don't know. Like, and I'm not sure about, how do you avoid that? I mean, we have to come together, right? We have to, re -pre I mean, maybe that's why Adam and Eve had belly buttons. Maybe that was the button. They pushed it, out came the baby. I have no clue. Sex is a result of the fall. For those of you who aren't familiar with the biblical story, a lot of people have taught that sex didn't exist before the fall. The fall is when God created everything perfect. We disobeyed the one command he gave and Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden and we've been sinful ever since. And that sex didn't exist before that. These people who teach these things, have they read scripture? Like it, you don't have to have a degree. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, talk about sex. The fall is in Genesis 3. How could we believe this didn't exist? Again, the belly button thing. I don't know, maybe it was a real theory. Maybe the most damaging thing we've taught is that sex, God created sex for men and women just have to tolerate it and do what pleases their husband. I want to be very clear on this statement. 
That's been taught by too many men who got to stand on a platform like this, be the only one in a room with a microphone and tell people what to believe. And it's not in scripture. And it's not what God intended. And so if you have lived through that trauma, I'm sorry. And the last thing that we've taught that gets pretty close but isn't quite there yet is that God wants couples to enjoy sex. We should take advantage of everything around us and it should be fun, right? We're gonna get to it should be fun in a minute, but I don't think that's the ultimate reason God created sex. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter two. If you're familiar with this story, you know a little bit before the verse we're gonna read, God created Adam, he created everything around and Adam has no partner, he's got no mate. And so God brings all the animals out, Adam names them and he still doesn't have a partner, right? And so then God makes Adam take a nap, pulls a rib out of his side, gets some dirt, makes a woman. Adam wakes up and he's like, now I have a mate. Thank you, God, that is a great gift. Thank you so much. And we pick up in Genesis chapter two, verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now the man and wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. In these couple of verses, we see clearly that God was the creator of sex. And when we practice sex the way God intended for us to practice it, we feel no shame about it. This Hebrew phrase, united into one, implies more than just physical, but not less than physical union. It means becoming one person. Sex is about pursuing physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual, and ontological union. This idea that as persons, ontological is just our personhood, right? As two people, we become one. Genesis 1.27 says that God created male and female in his own image, he created them. We don't, we see God in his completeness, male and female, as we become one in the sexual union of marriage. Sex is holy because God created it to be so. Sex is holy because the giver of sex is holy and he created it to be holy. Now let's step back from that for a minute if you're like, oh my gosh, how many times is he gonna say sex in this sermon? Just, we'll step back for just a minute. We've all heard the story of, no, of Moses, right? So Moses gets called, he's gonna go free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He's, God calls him, he's out in the desert and all of a sudden he looks over and a, burning, a bush is on fire but it's not burning up. Moses is tending sheep, he's a shepherd at the time and God says, stop, remove your shoes, the place where you are standing is holy ground. You ever thought about that for a minute? Moses is in the middle of the desert in a sheep pen and that's holy? It's holy because a God who is holy is in that place. Wherever God is makes it holy. That means God's presence in our marriage, in our lives, and yes, even in our bedrooms, makes sex holy. And by following God's command and design for sexual intimacy, we show our love and worship back to him for the gift he gave us. What would happen if we began to see sex as an act of worship? Some of you are like, wait, I thought worship was just when Dave came up and we sang some songs. Worship is when we live our lives 
as an act of gratitude back to a God who created us, designed us, and saved us. Who gave us the gifts. And what if we worshipped him by taking advantage of that gift in the way that he's designed it to be taken advantage of? Sex is holy because God is holy, but sex is also holy because it brings unity like that of Jesus and the church. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. There's something that happens as we come together with our spouse that brings unity and oneness, just like when we place our faith in Jesus and he indwells our lives. And as we look and are united in sexual intimacy with our spouse, we're reminded of the fact that we are united with Christ in love. And these two things show and reveal each other to us as we live through that. So first, sex is holy. Second, sex is connected. Now, a lot of us are really great at compartmentalizing our lives, some better than others, but we need to realize that if we're going to experience this gift of sex that God has given to us, what happens outside the bedroom is probably as important as what happens inside the bedroom. One Christian counselor I read calls this meta-sex, not mega-sex, meta-sex. Nobody's even like, everybody's so uncomfortable. They're like, we're not even going to laugh. I don't know when the right time to laugh is and when it's not, so I'm just not going to. Imagine you were going to go get on a jet plane and fly from here to Tampa, Florida. I want to go to Tampa because it doesn't snow there and it feels a lot warmer there right now. So that's where we're going. When you fuel up that plane, you are going to spend 80% of that plane's fuel to get it in the air at a cruising altitude. Then you're going to cruise to Tampa, Florida, and land on the last 20%. What if in our marriages and in our relationships, we began to use 80% of our energy to get to the bedroom? And then the last 20 was spent in the bedroom. How would that change our sex lives. Song of Solomon is a series of poems written between a husband and his wife as they prepare to come together. It's very intimate language if you've never read it. And just for those of you who've heard, this is really not about sexual intimacy. That's just really bad scriptural interpretation. It is absolutely what it's about. But as we read Song of Solomon, there's this verse, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, that says, Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. And you're like, what in the world is he talking about? A majority of biblical scholars believe those foxes are things that are going to try to destroy sexual intimacy in a relationship. What are the foxes in your marriage? If you think about meta-sex, this idea that sex is connected to everything we do, then that means that a healthy sex life is fruit of a healthy marriage. 
And that if sexual intimacy is lacking or unhealthy, we're unhealthy in some other area of our marriage. Apart from something that prohibits that. So let's go back to two weeks ago. How are we communicating with each other? How's our communication? My guess is not very many of us in the room want to like be belittled by our spouse and then go be completely bare in front of them. If you think the way you talk to each other, the way you communicate isn't impacting your sexual intimacy, I think you should look again. What about your finances? Are you and your spouse on different pages about how you handle money? And is your disrespect of the way you handle money, disrespecting the way your wife or your husband handles money, affecting you in the bedroom? Our mental health, our anxiety, our self-worth, our self-image, our depression affects what happens in the bedroom. I read study after study of young couples who struggle with sex after having kids and they're like, it's just too difficult. I try not to make really pointed statements very often because I want everyone in the room to feel comfortable. But this is going to be one of those times and I hope, I want you to hear it and yes, I mean it. If your kids are your number one priority, your priorities are out of line. Your number one priority should be your relationship with Jesus. Your number two has to be your spouse if you have one. And your kids are number three. My my kids, I pray this every day, are gonna live in my house for 18 years. And then it's out the door you go. My wife and I have already been married 22. That means I'm gonna spend way more time with her than I spend with them. How am I prioritizing that? Job stress. And let's talk about the biggest fox of all that I think is attacking marriages left and right everywhere, and that's pornography. This stat astounded me. I shouldn't be surprised, but I was. 35% of everything that is downloaded off the internet Think about all the files you have to download for work, for school. 35% of everything downloaded off the internet is pornographic. 40 million U.S. adults admit to regularly visiting internet pornography sites. How many aren't admitting to it? How big is that number? 10% of U.S. adults admit having addiction to internet pornography. And before you go, oh, well, this is just the man problem. All the men in the room need to listen up. One out of every three visitors to adult websites is a woman. This is a growing industry that is destroying our marriages. Anybody be like, Jason, just relax. It's not having that big of an impact. Oh, trust me, it is. The number of men age 25 to 35 on erectile dysfunction or dysfunction medication is equal to that over 70. Why? 
because porn is reshaping our brains. The chemicals that are released when we view internet pornography are reshaping the way we think and they're changing our lives. Most sex therapists said that porn increases men's expectation of sex and their expectations of their partners, while that porn has a negative effect on women's self-confidence. These effects lead to performance anxiety, dissatisfaction, depression, loneliness, isolation, memory loss, and inability to have sex at all. What are the foxes in your marriage and mine that we need to capture and kill. And if you're thinking, oh, it's okay, Jason, we watch porn together. I know none of you are going to say that, but some of us are thinking that. You have bought into one of the biggest lies our culture is telling. It is not helping your sex life. It is hindering it. When was the last time outside of the bedroom you just complimented your spouse? You said, hey, you know what? That project you were working on, that looks great. That craft you did, it's amazing. When was the last time we complimented how they look? You look really good today. When was the last time you just touched them in a non-sexual way? Maybe the most startling statistic, and I read tons of them this week, please do not check my internet search history, (laughs) is that only 6% of non-cuddlers have great sex lives. What? The easiest way to have a great sex life is cuddle. I'm not asking you to do crazy things. I'm asking you to put your phone down and go sit on the love seat next to each other and touch. 94% of people who have great cuddling have great sex. It's not rocket science. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. They are the words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, quality time, and gifts. My wife loves quality time. Took me a long time to figure this out. I spent all kinds of hours at Christmas trying to find her the best gift, and I'd come home and she'd be angry. And I'm like, I have searched for hours for the best gift for you for Christmas. Why are you upset? And she's like, I just wanted you home. That would have been a lot cheaper. (laughs) Right? Like, But the time I spend with Corey, invested in that relationship, letting her know I care, listening to how her day was, will dramatically impact what happens in the bedroom that night. Don't twist this. I don't sit and give Corey time so I can have great sexual intimacy. Because I love her and I spend time with her, the fruit of that is I have great sexual intimacy. It's not a, well, I did this, so you give me that. What are the foxes that you need to kill? 
And lastly, sex is holy, sex is connected, and yes, sex is fun. If sex has become a burden in your relationship, I'd encourage you to go back to the first two principles and see what you missed. Take a look and figure out where those connections aren't. Sex should be fun. Now, I'm not going to get too into the weeds on this, but I think there's a couple of scripture texts that show us, even the Bible says, sex should be fun. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. We're not taking a poll of the audience. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you or because you you lack self-control. Paul gets it. But before we get into what Paul gets, I want you to understand this verse has been used for far too long to demean women. I don't know how they get there. I don't know how they get there. The first thing Paul says is, a husband, that's me, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Start there. Camp out there before you get to the wife's responsibility. Guys, this is not a verse that says, she's got to give it to you whenever you want. But Paul is clearly saying that our physical bodies are for the enjoyment of our spouse. How would our sexual intimacy change If as we were going to the bedroom, instead of thinking, oh great, what did they do for me today that I owe them for? We began to think to ourselves as we headed there, how do I get to give myself to my spouse as an act of love? Because Paul says very clearly that I'm there for their sexual needs and that my body is their body and Their body is my body, right? Like, this is about intimacy. Paul's key idea is that it should happen regularly and be enjoyable for both because what would Satan love to do? Destroy our marriage by tempting us when we don't stay faithful. Marriage coach and pastor Aaron Chambers says this, not having sex on a regular basis devastates self-esteem, security, and the spirit of oneness in a marriage. Let me be clear and as blunt as I can be. If you and your spouse are going months without sex and not for physical or medical reasons, your marriage is screwed, pun intended. (laughs) Taking months out when there's no reason is not what the Bible describes as what marriage should be. Now, often this question leads to, okay, Jason, but what do good Christian people do and not do in the bedroom? And if you think this is crazy, this has been questions that have been asked inside the church for the last 35 years. What can and can't we do? I think it's real simple. Talk about it. It doesn't take rocket science. Just talk about it. If you're manipulating your spouse to do something they don't want to do, if you're pressuring your spouse to do something they don't want to do, or you're demanding your spouse do something they don't want to do, you're outside the lines of biblical acceptance and sexual intimacy. But if the two of you agree on it, and it's just the two of you, 
Have fun. Have fun. Chambers continues when he talks about the four M's of sex. He says, first of all, we should have moral sex. That's sex inside the construct that God has created for us. Second, we should have ministry sex. That's we have sex because God is holy. This is an act of worship. This is an act of ministry to our spouse. Third, we have maintenance sex. That's sex just because sometimes you just need to do it, right? Like you just gotta go on, let's, let's do it, let's get out of the way. But he says, fourth, you should have monkey sex. Now, before you think I've completely lost my mind, monkey sex is sex fueled by romance, passion, spontaneity, oneness, and godly sexual thirst. Now, again, I have biblical proof for what I'm saying. So if you're like, we need a new senior pastor, this guy has lost it, and the people he's reading are even worse, listen to Song of Solomon 7, 6 through 13. The young man is speaking here. He says, oh, how beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love. How full of delights. You are slender like a palm tree. Your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. The young woman responds, yes, wine that goes down smoothly for my lover flowing gently over lips and teeth. I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. Come, my love, let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms are opened, if the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love There the mandrakes give off their fragrance and the finest fruits are at our door. New delights as well as old, which I have saved for you, my lover. All right, we're not gonna go verse by verse and explain everything that that passage means. But I think it's pretty clear at a cursory reading, sexual intimacy should be fun in our relationships. You should be celebrating the gift that God has given us. This is not Christmas morning when you get the like pajama pants and you go, oh, those are nice. Set them on the other side. This is one of the greatest gifts you can get. God gave it to us for our enjoyment. Let's enjoy it. Sexual intimacy is one of the greatest gifts God's given us. So if you're here and you're like, okay, I get it. You made your point. How? I'm not a counselor. I'm gonna start with my advice first. And it's real simple. You should not come to me for counseling. But you should talk about sex. You and your spouse should have open, honest dialogue about your sex life, about what sexual intimacy looks like for you. Because what it looks like for you is not gonna be exactly what it looks like for, each, for, the, for your neighbor or somebody else in your life group. But the two of you need to be talking about it. Now, time and place matters. I'm not sure like at the end of the act, you should be like, hey, I've got your scorecard ready. That's probably not gonna be a productive conversation. For Corey and I, it's one of the things that's up on the board when we have our state of the Roten meetings. How are we doing? What do you need? What do I need? Marriage counselors who have been doing this for years, Les and Leslie Parrott, say these two things can fix sexual intimacy in almost any broken couple. Meaningful touch. What would it feel like if you just walked up and rubbed your spouse's shoulders? 
What if while you were in Target, instead of like putting the cart in between the two of you so that nobody, everybody thinks you're brother and sister instead of husband and wife, you actually reach over and grab your spouse's hand. Just say, hey, I'm so glad you're here today. Or you put your arm around their waist, you pull them close. Cuddling matters. Cuddling matters. Even if it doesn't lead to anything, it matters. Second, compliments. Everybody loves to receive compliments. Everybody loves to be told something good about themselves. I don't know about you, I have the middle school image issue. I have body images like a middle school girl has body images. I can tell you everything that is wrong with this body that God has given me. When Corey says something good about it, it can change my whole day. What would change in our sexual intimacy if we started speaking kind words to each other? So as we head out of here this morning, here are six questions for you to go home and talk to your spouse about. Not your life group. This is not life group discussion material. Some of it should be, but not these questions. When was a time where you felt most desired by me? What are two things you love about my body? What are two things about me that you appreciate? What were some things when we were dating where you put your best foot forward? Right? We do this accidentally. Right? When we were dating, we would like change clothes four times, make sure everything looked right, shirt looks good, there's no stains on it. I mean, I really didn't even have to mess with my hair then. It was gone pretty soon into the process. But like some of you were like fixing your hair, you're brushing your teeth 18 times. You're got like, uh, anybody remember Listerine strips in your pocket to make sure you got good breath the whole time through? Now it's like, do these athletic pants have too many stains to go out to the grocery store in? Right? We just don't care. What if we started to care? What if we ask, what were the things that really meant something to you when we were dating? What are the foxes we need to kill in our marriage? We've all got them. They creep in. What are the things you need to be working on? What gives you the most pleasure in the bedroom? Could you answer that for your spouse? Do you know? And how frequently would you like us to have sex? Clear expectations, right? They may or may not be met, but at least we know. We can begin to process and talk about and share those things. And lastly, as we close this morning, if you're struggling with pornography and you're in the room today, I want you to know this is a place where you can get help. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to look down on you. We're not going to make you feel like garbage because you struggle with this. The statistics are incredibly high about the number of people who do. What we want for you is something better. And we want to help you get help. Maybe you need to see a counselor. Maybe you need to go to some kind of addiction group. 
Maybe you just needed somebody to say, hey, why don't you put covenant eyes on your screen or on your computer and I'll get your reports and we can talk. We can figure out what's going on. There's all kinds of help. We would love to walk with you in that journey. There's nothing wrong with counseling. Whether you're a couple struggling with sexual intimacy, you're an individual addicted to porn. Just like we need to normalize conversations about sex, we need to normalize mental health. And it's okay to get help, to be better, to be able to celebrate the gift that God has given us the way he's given it to us. Would you pray with me? Dear Holy Father, God, thank you. Thank you for loving us as we are. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Thank you for the ways that that can change our lives. God, I pray for, sex, for people in the room right now who are struggling with sexual intimacy. God, I pray that they would know they can get help. God, that they would know they don't have to struggle in this alone, that there are people who love them and want to walk with them. And God, I ask and pray that you would make us a place that's not afraid to talk about hard things, but that wants to honor you in every area of our lives so that your kingdom can grow in this community, so that lives can be changed, and so that each and every one of us can experience life to the fullest the way you intended it. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.